So yeah, I just, I'm so excited to get to share with you on Mother's Day. I've actually never shared on Mother's Day, um, which is funny because I'm like the woman pastor here. So, but <laughs> Taka's always like, Natalie, we can't be cliche and, you know, have a woman preach on, on Mother's Day. It just feels like we only want you to preach when it's things for women. And I was like, it's fine. We don't, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> but um, it, it actually just worked out that way this year. So the first time I'm getting to speak with you guys on Mother's Day. So I'm so excited about it because I got to share with you guys a little bit about Young Lives, which so many of you know is just so near and dear to my heart and um, just inviting you to be a part of that with me. But um, also we're in, in the middle of a series called Greatest Hits. And <coughs> I actually want to share one of the stories that I think is one of the greatest hits, and it's actually about another single mom in scripture. And so if you guys are going to be following along with your Bibles today, we're going to be in Genesis 16. If you don't have one with you, don't worry about it. It's going to be on the screen behind you. We'll flash those verses for you. I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview um, of it. So we're going to kind of skip a bunch of the verses, but you'll get the gist of what it's about. So um, we're gonna, it's in Genesis 16. There's a, a larger narrative in all of Genesis, but we're going to start there. So um, we're going to start off by talking about this incredible single mom, which I think, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of her, but her name is Hagar. Have you, how many of you have ever heard of Hagar? She's pretty amazing. And Hagar was actually originally, I think maybe a lot of people don't know this, but she was actually originally an Egyptian princess. And, uh, but she did not get to stay that for very long. And that's because she actually ended up being given away by her father to a woman named Sarai. And here is why. So in the begin, like somewhere in the middle of Genesis, we'll just start there. God had made a, prom a promise to this man named Abram that he would be the father of many nations and that he was going to build a new nation and a new land and he was going to give him this land. And so for him to do that, that meant that he was going to have to get up and travel across like all different kinds of places and to go to get to his promised land. And so for him to get to do that, he was going to have to pass through some other nations. And so he was going to need some safe passage. And his wife, Sarai, was really beautiful. And so for some reason, he was like, Sarai, because you're so beautiful, every time we go to a new land, you're, I need you to tell everyone that you're my sister. Because what's going to happen is we're going to get there. They're going to see how beautiful you are. And all the kings are going to want you to be their wife. And they're going to kill me. And then I will never get to my promised land which I think is absolutely ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> He's, like, going to that, that very, like, worst-case scenario. But honestly, it actually kind of does happen because he goes through these different places, and two, two separate times, actually, there's, there's a third one later, too, but we'll get, we won't go there. Two separate times, this actually happens. And so she must have been, like, a knockout. I don't know. She must have been a total babe. But apparently, twice, they come into these new lands, and the kings are like, hey, like, why don't you come be my wife? You're, like, beautiful. And so, <coughs> for, unfortunately for them, God is like, excuse me, uh, you guys didn't ask me about this. Uh, I did not want her to be married to some other guy. She's your wife, Abram. And so these kings all kind of like get these curses sent upon them and all these terrible things start happening in their kingdoms and to their families and they finally figure out that it's because Sarai is in, in their home now and she should not be married to them. And so when they finally come back to Abram, both times 
He's like, yeah, she's not really my sister. She's my wife. And they're like, dude, will you please get out of here with her and get, like, go somewhere else because you guys are ruining my life. And so twice this happens, and one of those times uh, he ends up, it's so bad for the pharaoh of Egypt is one of them, and he ends up being like, please get out of here. Take my daughter with you. Like, because at this point, he's like, I'm experiencing the wrath of God on my life. And I do not want any more of that. So take your wife. Take my daughter. She can be your maidservant. Take a bunch of my flocks and livestock and get out of here, basically, right? And so he actually gives his daughter to Sarai, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, but... You know, it's kind of crazy that actually his fears were kind of came true. Um, But weirdly, like, honestly, God overlooked Abram's offenses for lying of all of this. And he still made good on his promise to Abram. Because even though we sometimes go back on our promises, even though we kind of do things the wrong way a lot of times, God is still faithful. He doesn't go back on his promises. And so Abram and Sarai, unfortunately, they kind of learned this dangerous precedent because he wasn't killed, obviously, because he lied, but also he left with more than he came with. So now they're kind of just like, hey, maybe this kind of works. You know, let's keep trying this out, which is a really unfortunate (laughs) circumstance here. But um, so Abraham kind of walks out of this like, better off, actually, in the end. But the truth is that just because he did does not mean that Sarai did. If you think about it, I mean, what he did to Sarai was, like, so messed up. Who does that? Who gives their wife away, like, to somebody else and, like, lies and says, this is my sister. Who does that? And I'm like, what a dweeb, like, like the worst of all dweebs. And so, obviously, she's, like, traumatized by this. Anyone would be. I would be so, if Taka did that to me, like, there would not be a second king to meet. You know what I mean? Because Taka would be gone. You know what I mean? Like, if if that king didn't take his life, I would be taking his life. Okay, but apparently they were a lot more nice back then, and she didn't, and she let him do it twice and still stayed with him. But anyways, they get through it, and they get to the promised land, and they grow kind of old there. And they never have any children in the end. And, and Abraham, is, Abraham is getting older, and he says, okay, God, thank you for giving me this land. We're here. We got here safely. Um, but I don't have anyone to pass this land on to, and you said that I'm going to be the father of all these nations. And so um, you said I'm going to be a, build a nation from this. And so, you know, who should I give this to? Should I give it to my head servant? Who should I give this to? And God said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bless you with a child. I'm going to, you will have your own child and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. But at this point, Sarai is 75 and he is like in his 80s. And obviously she's been barren this whole time. They they don't have any children. And so as far as they're concerned, they're going, well, we can't have any children. We we don't have children. We can't have children. We're, We're older now. Um, and she's probably like, there's, I'm, that, that day's come and gone. Like, I'm not going to have a baby, you know? But here's the thing is that, like I said, tr- Sarai was traumatized from what Abram had put her through. And what I know is that hurt people, when we don't heal our wounds, we hurt people, right? 
And so what Sarai does is she kind of follows their pattern, which is she does to Hagar what Abram did to her. And because she can't bear children, instead of trusting God, she says, you know what, Abram, why don't you take my maidservant, and why don't you marry her, and she will have children. She'll have my children for me. Okay. Seriously, what is wrong with these people? I don't know. I don't know why they don't get it, but for some reason they keep doing this. They keep giving people to one another, lying to each other about things, and it's, it's a mess. And so neither of them, neither Abram nor Sarai, actually believed that God was going to give them this baby through their old bodies. They didn't believe the promises that God gave them. And so, you know, someone always ends up paying when you don't trust that God will care for you in a way that brings honor to him. And he'll never, here's the thing, he will never ask you to do something that will violate your character or someone else's. And so that's what they didn't take that into account, but sometimes we do that, don't we? We kind of get ahead of ourselves, and that should have been a red flag for both of them when they tried to accomplish God's promises without, you know, asking God, like, hey, is this a good thing to do? Is this actually, like, kind to other people? Is this going to violate my character or someone else's? And so, unfortunately, don't miss, you know, they learned to mistake that the follow-through of God on his promises meant no consequences for them. But that's not true. And we're going to see that actually they do end up having consequences. And they were a little bit delayed for them. But every time we try to violate ourselves or someone else to get what we want, there are consequences. And so Abraham didn't trust God enough to get him through, and the kings ended up paying for it, right? Sarai didn't trust God to give her a child, and so Hagar paid for it. And of course, this does not go well. I mean, what else can we expect, really? <laughs> right? And so when Hagar finds out that she's pregnant, it, the Bible says that she became filled with contempt towards Sarai. And can you really blame her? I mean, this girl did not sign up to marry this old man. She was younger, and her culture, she was a princess, right? In her culture, women had more rights. They got to choose their own spouse, at least. And if she was married, she automatically became the ruler of the home. And yet, Hagar here was not even offered that opportunity. She had to remain a maidservant, even though she was having this child for Abram. And wives were also given a good share of property in Egyptian culture, and they uh, but they did not get that in Hebrew culture. And so she was not really given any choice of who she was going to marry. Um, she did not get any respect for her opinion or um, her place in the home. She was still disrespected and treated terribly. And she didn't have even autonomy over her own body. And so, yeah, I don't blame her for having contempt. I can totally see where she's coming from. How did, how did we think this was going to go? So then we get the battle of the blame game that happens, right? And you know, whenever there's any kind of drama in our home, we start being like, well, it's your fault. Well, if you would have done it, well, you know, it's your fault. And then you just get all these, right? Everything is everyone else's fault when things start to go wrong, except for our own, right? So this is what they are. This is where they are here. And in Genesis, er, er, so first Hagar blames um, Sarai for being upset, but Sarai blames Abraham. And so uh, Abraham basically is like, hey, listen, it's not my problem. You deal with it. 
I have issues with this guy, so many issues with this guy, but we're going to put those aside for a moment, okay? So in Genesis 16, it says this. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. And anytime we try to pass off the blame, it just makes any situation unlivable, especially for the wounded person. It makes them feel crazy because, you know, honestly, it's like poor Hagar in all of this. She's like literally just a poor innocent bystander. She's like the recipient of all of their drama and and like she's getting the blame in the end of this because she's mad of all the bad things they did to her. And so unfortunately, Sarai did not accept the blame for her bad actions and neither did Abram. And so what, for, what choice does she feel like she has but to run away? She's like, these people don't respect me. They don't care about me. They don't, they'll just keep hurting me. I don't want to hold on to this pain. And I think that's so many times what we do when we feel like we're in a really difficult situation. We feel unseen. We feel unloved. We feel uncared for. And so we just run. We just run away. Or we try to avoid the situation instead of facing into it. And I think that's where a lot of families hit their downfall. And that's where we get these estranged family members is because people aren't willing to own their own dysfunction, right? They're not willing to own their own dysfunction. And then the people who are truly hurt get separated. And instead of reconciling, we get abandoned from one another. So to add to their dysfunction, they complicated everything for all of them by taking matters into their own hands, right? How many times have we felt like God said something good is coming our way, but that we get impatient and we try to take those matters into our own hands? And instead of waiting for God to answer those promises, we jump to do them ourselves, right? We try to fulfill our own promises. And in the moment, it always seems like a really good idea, right? We're like, oh, this isn't happening for me. Um, God, I know you really want it for me, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to try to make it happen. I'm going to go and... I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make sure that this happens. And we start doing all kinds of things that compromise ourself, our character, our relationships, right? We, we're like, I, I know I really want to get married, and that guy is here right now, so let's, let's do that. And it's, he's total, total dweeb, right? And not even asking a single person about it. And so, you know, we just jump right into it, right? Or we're like, I know that God wants me to eventually move here or there, and so I'm just going to do it. Instead of waiting for the right timing, waiting for a job opening, waiting for God to give the okay, we just do it, and then we get there, and, like, nothing opens up, right? And so it's like, why didn't we actually stop for a minute and go, why don't I just wait until God says go? Why don't I wait until God gives me the direction of how to get this promise? Or why don't I just let God provide it for me, right? And so in the moment, it seems like a really good idea. But like I said, someone always has to pay when we take matters into our own hands. And Hagar does what so many of us do in those situations. So in verse 7, this is what happens. The angel of, oh, so she runs away. She goes into the desert. Um, and then it says this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. And the angel said to her, Hagar Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. 
But the angel also said, you're now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. But this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey, and he will raise his fists against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. And thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. And she said, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, I've truly seen the one who, have I truly seen the one who sees me? And so that well was named Bear, I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this, Bear Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. The thing I think that is so cool about this is Hagar is actually the very first woman in scripture to be visited by an angel. Not just once, but we'll find out later that she was visited twice by an angel. And also, she's the only person in scripture who gives God a name. That name is El Roy, the God who sees me. And how beautiful is that, that she is highlighted in scripture in this moment. Because here we have this woman who's living in a foreign land. She used to be a princess, but now she has no status. She has no power. She has no autonomy. She's abused. She's overlooked. She's hurt. And God sees her as someone special. And God says to her, I see you and I hear you. And I'm going to provide for you and take special care of you. And I love that because God sees us the same way. The moments where we feel completely overlooked, we feel unheard, we feel unseen, and those are the moments that God pays special attention and gives special care to us, and usually special blessing in those moments. If we can get through those hard moments with him, he gives us a special blessing, and in, the, in that moment, he actually gives Hagar Abram's blessing. Did you catch that? He gave Hagar Abram's blessing before he gave it to Abram. So shockingly, in the end, God still kind of sorts things out for these three. And Hagar, like I said, she benefits from Abram's blessing. But Sarah would too. Sarah is not totally left out in this situation. And he actually, God even actually changed her name. And he's, he just was reminding them, I promised you I was going to give you a son. And I meant what I said when I wanted it to come through you. And she laughed and she thought that was crazy because, I mean, she was 75, right? And when, when they first heard this. But God said, no, I'm changing your name to Sarah, which means mother. It was Sarai, which meant princess, but now it's Sarah, which means mother. And so in her old age, finally at 90 years old, she ends up giving birth to a son named Isaac, the first, the original child that God had promised to them. But she still was not over. She's a little bitter still at Hagar. She, she just, when you put things into your own hands, there's weird stuff that lingers in there, right? When you, give your, when you give your power away to somebody else and they're still in your life, you always regret that, don't you? You're like, I, I, gave that, I gave that person something of mine that I wasn't supposed to give them, and now I just feel weird about them. And so that's how she is with Hagar. And, of course, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, he is the older brother. And what do older brothers do? It's like the rite of passage. You have to pick on and tease your little brothers. Like, that's just what you do. It's part of life, brothers, sisters, we all do it to each other. And 
Sarah, obviously Sarah is, she's still bitter. She's all salty with Hagar, which she really doesn't have a place to be because it's really Hagar that should be feeling that, but Sarah feels that way anyways. And so she, she can't handle her own issues, right? She never really repented. She never really owned up to her own self. And so she's just still kind of consumed with jealousy and spite. And she really never let go of the fact that Hagar was blessed before her. And she didn't like it, and she was kind of petty. And so in Genesis 21.9, here's what happens. It says, But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making, making fun of her son. So she turned to Abram and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance of my son, Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abram very much because he, obviously Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the one whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation to the descendants of Hagar's son, because he's your son too. And note, God didn't say Ishmael's sons wouldn't be counted to him. It just says they won't be counted to him. They will be counted to Hagar. And if you look down in history, you'll see that they're counted to her. She's actually very famous. Um, so anyways, I'm moving on. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared the food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. And then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, and then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And there's something different about our trust in God once he hears our kids, right? Something different. There's a, a deeper love for God that comes when we see that he doesn't just care about us, but he cares for our kids too. It builds our faith. And so in that moment, her faith is built. It says, then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water, and she quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. So even Sarah's trifling was not going to stop God's rescue and blessing over Hagar's life. Have you ever had someone in your life who just had an intent on just ruining you, who just wanted to spread rumors about you, wanted to hurt you, wanted to do things. I have, I have had that multiple times, and it sucks. <laughs> it sucks, but we have to choose not to retaliate in those moments. Just live your life. You just keep going on, just being a good person, just listening and obeying God, and he'll take care of the rest. The Lord says, the vengeance is mine. Let me deal with it, and so that's what Hagar does. She's like, I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to put Sarah out of my mind, and I'm going to live my life. But because Sarah held on to and acted on her spite, the blessings were tainted. And both Ishmael and Isaiah would end up being the father of many great nations, but they were not friendly. And uh, actually, they were going to end up being arch enemies over time. And in fact, to this very day, the unrest that we see in the Middle East, we believe, stems from this very moment. Because uh, the truth is that Sarah was the ancestor of Jesus. Sarah and Abraham, right, were the ancestor of Jesus. But Hagar is counted as the ancestor of Muhammad. 
And there we have it, Christianity versus Islam and the fight over Palestine and, and Israel. We, it all started in this moment. And so it never had to be this way, but unfortunately, Sarai tainted the blessing, right? And so when we complicate the outcome, when we try to take matters into our own hands. So for, for us today, I just want to encourage us for a couple of things. One, work through your junk, right? Rather than just trying to avoid your problems or running away from your problems or pointing the finger, why don't we just stop for a moment and, and just say, I messed up. I messed up, and I'm sorry. And I want to make things right. And I want to get rid of the jealousy, the spite, the, the bitterness, the feelings that are in me because I don't want to taint my blessing. I don't want to taint my blessing, and I don't want to taint your blessing, right? And there's enough of God's blessing for all of us. There's enough blessing to go around. You're not going to be skimped on if, if somebody else gets their blessing. You're not going to be skimped on because you feel like God doesn't see you. You're not going to be skimped on because you feel like you're not high in status or have any power in your life. God says, I see you and I hear you. There's enough for you. There's enough for everyone. And God would continue to meet people at wells and the sources of water and do all kinds of miracles and blessings in people's life. Isaac would receive blessings and wealth and Karen got it at a well. Jacob found a spouse and love at a well. Moses would be rescued from a river and would eventually rescue people down the road. A crippled man was healed at the pool of Siloam. Jesus met, prophesied, and comforted and sent the five times rejected Samaritan woman at the well. Peter and Andrew received their calling at the, at the water's edge. And so today I want to ask you, what do you need from the Lord? Because he's ready to be your source of life. And he calls himself living water living water and if you feel like you're too much you're not he's got enough living water that never runs dry it says he never ever runs dry psalm 139 7 to 10 says where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i go up to the heavens you're there if i make my bed in the depths you're there if i rise in the wings of the dawn and if i settle on the far side of the sea see even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. No matter where we're going, we can always meet God at the well, and he will find you no matter how far you try to go. With provision, Isaiah 44, 3, he says, I'm going to pour out water to quench your thirst and irrigate your parched fields, and I'll pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children, and they will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. He gives us the gift of his presence and his Holy Spirit when he says in John 7, 38, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, declare rivers of living water flow from his heart. He gives us salvation, both his physical and spiritual. And against our, spirit, against our enemies and everything, he gives us protection. In, in Isaiah 12, 3, he says, with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And so really quickly, I just want to talk about, while we're on the topic of wells, okay, uh, about a week ago, a bunch of us went out and ran at World Vision's, um, like, half marathon. You can see my bruised up, bloody toes from it. <laughs> it was kind of terrible. But uh, my time is awful. Don't look it up. Um, we participated in that because we believe and we know in the power of water and what water can do for a person's life. 
And when you think about, um, you know, running water, we're very blessed. We're privileged to have running water. But these people who we're building these wells for, we're raising money. We raised over $40,000, the team did. Yeah, over $40,000. We provided water for over 700 people, which is incredible. Um, but the reason we did that is because these people who don't have access to clean water, oftentimes they're traveling for miles and miles in extreme heat. They can pass out. They can die from that. They can be literally killed by wild animals. They're putting their life in danger every time they go just to get something as simple as water. Um, they can be trafficked. They can be kidnapped. And it's usually women and girls, so they're much more vulnerable to this, right? They have to carry those gallons for miles and miles to go get that water, right? And then when they get it, they have to carry it back with them. I can't even ca carry a gallon of water across my house half the time. But these young women and girls are carrying miles and miles these heavy, heavy gallons of water. And many times the water is not even clean, and so when they get it home, it causes illness and death. And so because of the time that it takes, many women and girls don't have um, a basic, they don't have time to receive a basic education or go to school, and they remain in poverty. So having quick access to clean water is really important. It matters. It makes a difference. It can change and save someone's life, right? It can give time redeemed. It can redeem the purpose of those young girls. It can keep them safe. It can protect them. It can bring health into their life. To have access to, to running water, to living water that never runs dry brings life. And that's what God wants to give us. Both physically, that's why we're that's why we physically brought it to those kids, because we believe that real true water matters in these people's lives, not just physically, but also spiritually. And we want to share the gospel and the hope of God because his living water is everything to us. And it's here for me and it's here for you. You have quick access. We don't have to go far to access the God of the universe because he's present every time we open the Bible and every time our clo we close our eyes to pray, he's there. Psalm 1, 2 to 3 says, but they who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and the night are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit in every season and their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. And so as we wrap up, I just want to just hit on a few points and give you just the opportunity to respond to God about his living water for your life. And first thing is that you're seen by God. You can't go far enough for him to not be able to find you. You're seen. The second one is resist forcing a blessing. Let God take care of it and don't violate your soul by doing it in your own way or by doing it in a way that dishonors God. And the last one is, if you're holding a grudge, if you've got junk in your family, go work it out. Don't avoid it. Don't run away. But go face into it because there's healing there and there's love there. And you don't want to taint your promise by letting bitterness fester there. So if you can all just kind of close your eyes with me for a moment. If any of those things just spoke to you and you're like, I want to know this Jesus. I need this living water. I need healing in my life. I need to forgive. I need Jesus. I'm just going to ask you. No one's looking around. You can just raise your hand and say, I need that today. I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I need to receive the gifts that God has for me. I want 
to be all that God has for me. And just raise your hand. Guys, God sees. He sees you. He sees your hurts. He sees your failures. He sees it all. And he's gracious and he's loving. And he's faithful to be there with you. You can't go far enough away from him. So as we enter into worship, I'm just going to pray really fast. But let's give this time to the Lord and just seek his living water for our life and hand over anything that we've been holding on to that isn't ours to hold on to. Jesus, we just give you this moment. We give you this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your living water that changes our life. We give this moment to you and we love you in Jesus' name.